Welcome to episode 11 of 1530. Today we're going to be talking about the 2019 Australian Open, the results of the men's final, and also what this is going to mean for the rest of the season. So Matt will we'll start us off talking about that, but then we wanted to go into looking more in-depth into statistics, what they really mean to the game. Um, I was recently looking at the different stats, such as aces, first or percent, and noticed that the t- people at the top of the list were at the slam winners. So I'm going to go kind of into a methodology that I've at least thought about on how to think about statistics and the tennis tennis way that, that could be more predictive in nature. And my name's Ben. My name's Matt, and we're just two tennis fans on opposite sides of America, bringing stats to the tennis world. Um, speaking of stats to start out with the stat of the day, uh, 84, 84%. That's the, uh, second serve win percentage for Djokovic in that Australian open final where he, uh, dominated for lack of a better word, roughing it all. Uh, going to be honest with you, Ben, I have not been able to bring myself to watch this match. That's <laughs> a Rafa it, fan. Yeah. It was, it was heartbreaking to see the score when I woke up. Um, but it happened nonetheless, right? So yeah. obviously that, that stat is, it's high. 84% went second serve win percentage. Uh, if you're not winning your second serves, the second serve return, those are prime opportunities. Rafa couldn't take advantage. Um, some other things that I saw, Rafa had 28 unforced errors. And if I remember correctly, a lot of those came from the forehand side. Uh, all tournament leading up to this final, Rafa's forehand was uh, was a huge part of his game, a huge part of the reason that he was playing so well. Uh, so I don't know if it was jokes pressure. I don't know if it was just an off day or what, but Rafa was not hitting those forehands the way he had been in the, the rest of the tournament. So I think that played into it a little bit, kept him – from really building up his confidence. Again, Joke had 34 winners to Rafa's 21. So you see just a cleaner game on, on Djokovic's side. So you give him credit for that as much as I hate to. You got to give him respect for the way that he played this game. This match is good. Definitely. Uh, yeah, just kind of my thoughts. I, I thought I was only going to watch the first couple sets because I thought I was going to be in for a long one that night and ended up being pretty straightforward, like you're saying. The biggest thing I was surprised, I wasn't necessarily shocked that Joke won. It was the manner that he won in, not only on the set scores. I was expecting much tighter sets, 7-5, 7-6. Instead, we had 6-3 and even some double break. I think a double break set there, 6-2. But I guess going to the numbers, uh, looking at Nadal's numbers this year, the 2019 Aussie Open, serving much, much better than we've seen him. He kind of changed his serve a little bit, adding some more miles per hour to that serve. Um, Nadal is getting broken at a much, much less pace. Um, in fact, he's held 93% of his service games. So that was shocking to see the ease that Joke was breaking. But then, yeah, again, going back to the stat of the day, right? 84% sec- second serve points won. That's where Nadal's been one of the best in the game. Second serve uh, returning him and Djokovic, I guess, basically. And I, so I looked at the numbers. I'm like, wait, was this just a one match that he was bad? Or was he not really up to par the whole tournament? And that's not the case. He's actually 5% better second serve uh, points one over his career. So 
in fact, yeah, he had been dominating all tournament just against Djokovic. And I think it was a combination, like you're saying, the forehand wasn't there. Sometimes when he can hook those forehands where he's out of the court and he can hook them up the line and you're like, man, if he has that shot, he can kind of turn that defense off. And so he wasn't hitting that shot. But I think mostly it wasn't necessarily him being off. It's just Joke was hitting the ball too clean, too big. Even when Nadal would hit a big shot, Joe could Joe could hit another shot off that or or go defense to offense very fast. So he was hitting winners. It was kind of it reminded me of when Federer played Djokovic at the Australian Open in the semifinals 2016. Federer was not playing bad at all, but he was getting blown off the court. Uh, he won, he lost the first two sets in a similar fashion to Nadal, one or two breaks. And then he did actually come back to win the third set but he had to come to net a bunch to rush and then he lost the fourth set. So it reminded me of that Djokovic was just hitting too big, just one, one shot better, right? Just like had a little bit more control of the rally, but it was a bummer to see uh, Nadal fail in, in, in the manner that he did. Yeah. I mean, one break point chance, one chance. Right. I think that came like in garbage time. It was later. So. Yeah, exactly. It was very late. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, that's a good point. Well, I guess now we have the first major uh, behind us, so we kind of want to dissect the statistics moving forward, but but didn't know, I guess, like a, a great way to to look at them. Like I was saying, <coughs> just just simply looking at those those serve leaders or even the return leaders wasn't really telling me a lot. So I started thinking about stats and reading a little bit more. So I know commentators, right? We love to, commentators love to talk about stats and even breaking down the Djokovic Nadal. You're like, oh, it's very simple, right? Djokovic had more winners uh, than Nadal. He had greater second serve points won. So it's pretty easy when you look at it when you're comparing, but kind of going into a match, sometimes it's hard to know who has the upper hand, if, even if they keep playing at the same rate. So talking about the players, you know, a lot of the players say they don't care. Federer said that in the past. He says he's more of a results guy. Raonich was asked, actually, at the Australian Open this year. He says he does use stats, but it's more to help him know okay, these are things I need to work on, but not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily use them in matches, I guess, to kind of guide his decisions. It's more for a practice thing, which I still think is a, is a good idea. So overall, I am definitely bullish on stats. I think that they they provide a lot in the game and they're going to continue to become more valuable. But they have their limitations. And I think we have to recognize that. Um, so kind of getting into some numbers here, right? A lot of times we like to set benchmarks like, oh, like, and I've said this before on the show, well, 55% second serve points one is a pretty good target. Above that, you'll probably win. Below that, it's it's going to be tougher. But we have to be careful with setting those kind of arbitrary benchmarks because they're not going to be the same player to player. A great example is looking at Nadal's serving numbers versus Isner's uh, over their career. Isner aces opponents about 20% of the time. Nadal's ace rate is about 4%, right? So you look at, ah, that's a pretty big difference. Isner is going to hold a little bit more than Nadal at 92% of his games, but Nadal's is still an 86% uh, win on his service games rate. So that's that's still a vast majority um, of the time for both players, but they both go about it such different ways, right? Um, Isner's looking for the big serves. Nadal's more looking to construct the point to gain the advantage off the bat. So when you when you look at the numbers, you wouldn't think, oh, Nadal's going to dominate slams until you look on the return side of the game. You look at everything holistically. So I kind of want to give a couple examples. One is a physics example. So with nuclear fission, um, you're going to produce a bunch of different radioactive nuclides. Basically, what that means is different elements and then also different isotopes of those elements. ton of different combination. They've been able to do an experimental determined percent breakdown of each um, element produced by fission. 
And the result is a fission yields curve. You can look it up on Google. It's basically like a McDonald's graph. It's like two humps. Um, the x-axis is atomic mass. Y percent is the mass percent. So without getting too technical, basically, if you want to confirm that nuclear fission is occurring by taking samples, you only need to measure maybe a couple isotopes, um, maybe two or three to get kind of the start of that curve. Because the rest of the curve is, is going to predict the rest. You don't need to measure all 21 major fission products to know, oh, yeah, looks like we have fission here based on this curve. And so tennis stats, I believe, are kind of the same way, that if we have a few of those stats together, we can figure out a player's own characteristic curve, such as, oh, okay, Federer usually wins 60% of his service points. He usually wins 20-something percent return points. And combined, okay, if he's above or at that benchmark, he's probably playing at his top level. And so just to give you a, an example directly from return points, we have Djokovic with 42% return points at his peak ELO, Federer only 27%. But that was in year 2017. He won, still won two slams. So both of these return numbers are quote-unquote good relative to the different player and their and their playing styles. But Matt, any, any comments on this methodology? No, I think it's a good point. It, you can't just look at one thing like you said. So I... Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Another way to think about it, if you're not a physics person, if you're another sports fan, you can think about Steph Curry right now, obviously dominating the league with three-point shooting. If his if his percentage went down to maybe like a 20%, which would be a very poor three-point shooter, um, you would know something's wrong, right? Like he, maybe he's injured, maybe he's declining, but either way, he's probably not going to dominate the game if he's shooting at that percent, right? He's not efficient enough. But it depends on the player, right? If you take Shaquille O'Neal, who is good in the post, right? He hardly ever shot any three-pointers. So that would that'd be foolish too. In fact, he couldn't even shoot free throws. His three-point three percentage number doesn't matter. If you compare his to Steph Curry's, that's not comparing apples to apples. It's irrelevant. So again, we need to be careful when we compare stats, right, between a player, especially if it's only a single stat. But if that target or benchmark you're comparing is specific to a player, to a given player, then that's that's something very useful, I think. So I guess to kind of break it all down, we need, if we're going to get good at analyzing players, we need to understand their game. And not only, okay, Federer likes to serve a volley some, Djokovic is a very good returner. Those are more qualitative things. But if we can get into the quantitative, we can make up a characteristic curve for each player. So we can compare the stats of the, of the players. So what we're going to break down right now to you is comparing the stats of these players we're going to talk about compared to their peak ELO. So what this means is at the top of their game for Djokovic, it would have been about 2015, 2016. We're going to look at his numbers there compared to this year's Aussie Open to see is he better or worse and which categories, how is he different from back when he was dominating slams? <coughs> and then, of course, this assumes that a player is not going to reinvent themselves. For example, for Federer, we're not going to use Federer's peak ELO of 2007 because he's so much older. His game has evolved so much more. He's a much better server. Uh, he's a worse returner, so we're going to use his 2017 numbers when he won two slams as his quote-unquote peak ELO, as new characteristic curve, because it's changed. So again, this is assuming players not going to reinvent themselves. Um, for young players, it's harder because they might not have figured out their winning formula, right? Their characteristic curve might not be developed yet because they haven't won slams yet. Um, Stan is a great example. A lot of people thought the 2014 Australian Open win over Nadal and Djokovic before that was kind of a fluke, a fluky thing. Maybe he just got hot, and then he won't really do it again. But he ended up winning two other slams, um, two additional slams, and numerous other tournaments. So it's kind of shown he he found that winning formula. 
Now, obviously, right now he's injured, but I, I think he found that characteristic formula or that curve. He he just needs to go back to it. Maybe one like Chilich, where he's only done it once. Yeah, maybe maybe that maybe there's some merit to that, but that's kind of my my hypothesis. So we'll go ahead and talk about these different players and again compare their numbers to see how they're doing. And kind of we can maybe use this as a predictive thing for the rest of the season. So what do we got for uh do you do you have Nadal's numbers there, Matt? Uh not yet. Okay. You should start I'll, with Djokovic and then I'll I will go. start I will start with Djokovic. So the winner of 2019 Australian Open, obviously gonna have some pretty good numbers. So we're comparing his to 2015 or excuse me, 2016 ELO here. So let's see, as far as serving goes, pretty much identical. He won 1% more service games uh, this year. And again, we, we do need to recognize this is a very small sample size. It's only one slam been played this year in 2019. We're using his 2015 numbers, 2016 numbers, where there was four slams, right? So we do have to take that into account, smaller sample size, but I think it's still a valuable exercise. <coughs> So he won 1% more service games this year um, than he did in his peak. He saved 8% fewer break points, though, to his peak. So that could be something, I guess, Djokovic is looking at the numbers. Why is that different? Maybe improve on that. All his other numbers, pretty similar. First serve percent, ace, ace numbers are about where Djokovic would, would have them be at to win slams. Uh, the return is interesting, though. He's significantly better. This is scary, okay? This is he's significantly better this year at the Aussie Open than he was in 2015-2016. His ace, he's getting aced less often, 2% less often. He's winning 8% more second server turn points. That's a huge number. He's winning 6% more first first uh, serve return points, excuse me. So overall, that's leading to a 15% more increase in return games won. Pretty scary. If he keeps it up the rest of the year, I think he's going to have to be the favorite at every slam. Um, but again, this is one slam. Maybe that'll taper off. It, and it does depend on who you play, right? If maybe if he plays more Chilich's, more Fetters, more of those guys, the numbers won't be as inflated. But based on the numbers alone, he looks like he's playing better than ever, unfortunately. So unless you're a Djokovic fan. So that's what I got for Djokovic. So again, prediction for the rest of the year. If the numbers keep hold, especially if he's returning this scary good, he's winning. 46, yeah, I didn't even say the actual number. I just said he proved He's winning 46% return points or return games and 47% return points. So, yeah, that's that's going to be very, very hard uh, to beat there. So what do you got for Nadal? All right. Let me make sure I'm looking at these right. I yeah, might sure. not be. You can correct me if I'm wrong. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So you want to look at just the Australian Open of this year compared to – Rafa's peak ELO. So like in 2013 when he... Exactly, 2013. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if I'm looking at these right, then Rafa is going back to your talk about his change in serve style. Um, he's acing like 3.9% more, again, in this small sample size uh, at the Australian Open. Um. And he's winning 4.2% more of his first serves, as well as almost 2% of his second serve. Um, so his service game is definitely increased, at least for the, for the Australian Open, it increased. Um, he did worse in his, on his first serve returns. So when his opponents got their first serve in, uh, 
he lost he lost the point three percent more than at his peak elo. Other than that, I mean, most of the things are are pretty similar. So he's pretty close if you compare it to his to his elo. He's pretty close to what he uh, what he was when he was playing his best. So I don't know. Maybe if we took this down to just that match against Joke, we might see some differences. Right. But throughout yeah, I think the tournament, that's a really good point. He was playing well. Right. And and I think you bring up a good point. Okay, there's a few <coughs> variances here and there, right? He got a little bit better on serve, but really the curves are probably almost identical, at least uh especially from a statistical analysis perspective and error analysis. So I think he probably, especially based on the way he was beating people, he probably was good enough to win that tournament if Djokovic didn't make the final, right? So I think for Nadal, like you're saying, number-wise, looking good. And for Wimbledon, where the serve matters a little bit more, maybe if he keeps that good serve, maybe that'll increase his chances at Wimbledon. But again, he'll probably have to be a favorite at the French if he continues to play the way he does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Excellent, yeah. So now we'll get in some players that maybe aren't quite. So both those players are either basically exceeding or doing about the same as their characteristic uh, formula. They're winning ways. They're probably going to win if they, they their stats hold up. Stan Wawrinka, like I said, he's one that's it's been a really fun player to watch, been really successful when he plays slams, especially slam finals, but lately coming off the injury, just not the same. So we'll go to his serve. He's acing 3.5% more often, um, and this is compared to his ELO. I picked the ELO of 2015, even though his peak ELO was the beginning or end of 2014. I just thought 2015 would be more representative. Um, so I did 2015, and uh, the other numbers on serve are pretty much about the same. Uh, he's winning now maybe 2% more first serve, per, first serve percent one. Uh, but overall, he actually is getting broken or losing 1.5% more service games. So about the same, but so his hold rate is 87% compared to 89%. So about the same. Return is where it's a huge difference, and it's blatantly obvious if you look at the numbers. He's getting aced, and I'm. this is not a typo. He's getting aced 17% more than he was in 2014. Oh. It's huge. Yeah, he's getting destroyed by the ace, right? He um, He's winning 15% fewer first serve return points. Makes sense, especially coming from the aces. He's actually doing okay on the second serve. This is one thing I wouldn't have noticed not looking at the numbers. He's winning 2% more second serve return points, and he's winning 39% more... Uh, Second, sir, or uh, break points, excuse me. He's doing great. Break points, he's actually converting way more than he ever had. He's just got to work on returning that first serve is what it is, is what it's looking like. So overall, because he's getting aced so much, because he can't handle the first serve, he is losing 14% uh, more return games. So that's that brings him down from his, from his characteristic curve, quote-unquote, at 24% return games won. Obviously not Djokovic great, but good enough to stay in some service games. <clears throat> right now he's down to a paltry 10%. You cannot win a slam winning 10% of, of your opponent's uh, points. I would be, I'd be very shocked. You'd be going to tie breaks quite a bit. Um, and that's what we actually saw. He lost to Raonic. Very fun match. If you want to go back and rewatch it. It was four tie breaks. Um, or maybe it was three tie breaks and a 7-5. But either way, he, he, he couldn't break Raonic. So... Yeah, pretty bad. Hopefully Stan, again, based on the numbers, maybe he's still injured. Maybe he's declining. Maybe he won't come back. But this is this is one thing that's pointing to if he can work on that first serve return, 
maybe he can be right back in it because he's serving as good as ever. Yeah. Well, and I, unfortunately, I think those are the things that you get worried about with these players that are getting older. You lose that first step a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so I think that translates into those return possibilities. Hopefully yeah. that's not what we're seeing with Warinka. Hopefully he's just working on that injury comeback, but yeah. And I just read recently, he said he's uh he said he's feeling much better on the court. He had a three set loss to Kopel who won. I can't remember which tournament in Europe, but won the, he was the defending champ from last year. So he's not doing that bad, <coughs> but like you're saying, he's not doing good enough and maybe he is declining. It's hard to say. Cause obviously like you're saying, you're not going to decline in your serve first. Probably it's going to be most likely the first step, the reaction time, uh, right. the quickness on returning. And so again, it's going to kind of be the same story with Roger. He seemed like he was playing a pretty good Australian Open until that loss to Tsitsipas. But the numbers are kind of going to show otherwise. He was really, really good on serve. And I mean scary good on serve. Um, again, I didn't pick his 2007 ELO because he won a lot fewer service games back then, but won way more. He broke a lot more back then. So I'm saying his 2017 kind of his reinvention of himself, winning those couple slams, it's how he's been playing more aggressive. So... Compared to 2017, he won 90% service games. That is incredible. The Australian Open this year, 97% of service games. Incredible. That's that's a ridiculous amount of service games won. That's crazy, um, yeah. Yeah, and actually breakpoint saved. You know, people, oh, whatever. Tsitsipas broke him in that one set. Breakpoints is about the same that he saved in 2017. He's actually winning more first serve percent one and more second serve percent one. So 4% more first serve and five percent more second serve that's pretty significant so he's dominating on serve it's the serve is not the problem again fetter being 37 right he it's it's the quickness it's the it's the steps on the return he's winning 12 and a half fewer return games percent wise so he's down from his characteristic curve for his winning formula of 27 percent down to 14.7 percent difference of 12 and a half so again he's close to that 10 percent of stand 14 or 15% basically is not going to get it done. You're not going to be in enough service. That was the problem with Tsitsipas, right? He kept going to these tie breaks. He only won one of them. The other ones he lost. He's got to get in more on these people's return games. Kind of breaking it down. It looks like um, second serve return point is actually worse than first, which is shocking to me. I thought first serve would be uh, would be worse. He's winning 5% fewer first serve return points and 8% fewer second which Second serve return points. So I think he'd be frustrated at the second serve return points. Um, and that's leading to him winning 16% fewer break break points won. Again, small sample size. He really struggled. He had a lot of break points against Tsitsipas. Couldn't convert. If the, But I'm saying is if this is going to be the trend the rest of the year, Federer is not winning the slam this year. He'll, he, he could go deep into majors based on his serve, but he, he could lose in, in a close tiebreak match like this. Um, so yeah, that's what I have to say about Roger. Again, hope it's not. Hope he's not actually secretly injured or something that's causing him to move worse on return. And I hope it's not his decline. But again, small sample size. He's going to need to improve. We'll see how he does. He really likes to gear up for Indian Wells and Miami, Dubai even. And then we'll see if he plays clay. But Wimbledon, I think, will be his next best shot to win a slam this year. Any any thoughts on Federer? Uh, no, it it will be interesting to see how what happens, what goes down. We'll see. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, that's you're right. He does. You never know, right? Until you watch it. That's why we love, love sports. That's why they play the game, right? And I, game. I think you're right. Indian Wells and uh, Miami, right? Miami yep. follows that. 
Yep. He loves those two mat those two tournaments. He always does well there. So it'll be good to see him play there and see how he does. Right. I think that'll say a lot about going him going for it. So. Yeah, he won the Sunshine Doubles, what they call it, at Indian Wells and Miami in 2017. He made the final last year of Indian Wells, but he had two match points against Delpo, and Delpo beat him. In fact, recently he he reflected on his uh, 2018 season and said, I think that was a turning point, me losing to Delpo is what he was kind of saying. Hmm. So it'll be interesting if he can even make the final again at Indian Wells. Uh, I think Joe could probably be the favorite, but Feder has won a ton of those matches. I'm excited I'll be in Indian Wells as well, so hopefully I'll get to watch Feder. Wow. Nice. This year, I know, yeah. And then Miami, we'll see. <laughs> Last year, he he lost in the first round, so he's going to want to go further. He lost to Kokonakis in a pretty shocking match. So, oh yeah, cut his season short a little bit because then he didn't play the whole clay court. So it was basically from like beginning of March, he didn't play again until right before Wimbledon. So it was last year was a weird season for Fed. Yeah. Okay, and then the player that obviously we should be talking about, he made his first Grand Slam semifinal. Um, made a semifinal before Alexander Zverev even, Stefano Tsitsipas. So we'll look at his numbers. And it's tricky because I don't really want to use his career ELO rating because that's now. So I'm comparing his his Australian Open campaign this year to his career Grand Slam matches because um, he's been a pretty good Grand Slam player even though he hadn't made a slam before so or a slam semifinal before. So we'll go ahead and look at his numbers here. So his serve numbers... Um, Definitely better than previous uh, slams. So he won 4% more service games. So he's winning about 89% compared to 85%. So that's pretty excellent. Um, the The numbers are pretty small difference. So I guess first serve percent is, is 4% more. That was one I remember commentators saying, oh, yeah, he needs to not hit as many second serves. He needs to get that first serve in. So he's doing better there. First serve percent one is about 2%. Second serve percent one is increased to 3%. So I think we're seeing small improvements there. But again, they're all improvements. Return game, again, I think this is where uh, we can see some improvement. So he's he won this year in the Australian Open only uh, about 12.5% of his return games. Um, and then in previous slams, he won about 16%. So he decreased about 3%. But again, that's close to... Stand at 10%, fed at like 14%. You need to be able to get into more people's service games. You're not going to be a Djokovic and win 40-something 40, 40 percent, right? He won 47% in the Australian Open. But you should be in those in the 20s. And so this is what I'm this is what I'm saying right now. So if you compare, because a lot of people are saying, right, stylistically, Feder and Tsitsipas, very similar. And people have said that before, though, about like Dimitrov and stuff. But looking at the numbers here, they there I think there is a case to be made for that. So I'm just going to, I have the numbers side by side here. So even looking at their serves, which both pretty fantastic. Um, Tsitsipas, like I said, held almost 90% fed between 90, 97%. So that's pretty similar. Their ACE percent is very, very close. Uh, Tsitsipas is between 11 and 13. Feds is 12 and 13%. This is again, their ELO to in between that and the, this, this current year campaign. Uh, double faults is about the 2% mark for serve percent is at 63%. Um, of course, Tsitsi passes was low before he improved it, but where it is now to where it is with Rogers, very, very close, exactly 63 on both. Um, first serve percentage one 78 for Tsitsi pass, a little bit low feds is between, uh, 80 and 83, but still very close. Second serve percent one for Tsitsi pass anywhere between 54 and 57. 
and Fed's is 59 and 64. So Fed, that is one different, definite difference. Fed is better on that second serve. Um, but yeah, all the other points are very, very similar. And then looking at the return game, again, that's something they both need to improve on. Fed won 15% of return games, CTC plus 13%. So if I'm just going to go ahead and make a prediction here or or say how, if CTC plus is going to win a Grand Slam, he needs to improve his return game. If his game is anything like Rogers, which from the numbers it sure looks like it, and stylistically as well, he's going to need to win close to 27% of his return games. So he's going to need to increase that by 15%, quite a bit. Um, but that's that's what Roger needed to do in order to play this game style and win two slams in 2017. So that's my prediction. Stan, Roger, and Tsitsipas, there's some good news. You're uh, it's in striking distance. But the bad news is you need to improve on the return game. I think that's the moral of the story here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't win a match if you don't have a return game. I, I, for my own thoughts, I, it's interesting because we're sitting here quantifying these curves for each player, right? So each player has different statistics that we think are kind of keys for them. And it's just interesting to see how well so everybody has these different these different styles yeah that we're trying to quantify so the question is do certain styles play better against other styles mm. and if that's the case if you're an up-and-comer and you're saying well i'm i've got to knock out these big three big four because they're not going anywhere so at that point, do you look at what they're doing and say, okay, well, if I can get my, my, if I can get A, B, and C, if I can get second serve return points and first serve percentage, do you think that anybody sits down and actually says, well, maybe if I get these specific things up, I can have a better chance to beat these players because of the style of play that they have? I don't know if they look at things yeah. like that. That's a good question. I think probably stylistically maybe they do, but I don't know, again, like if they look at the numbers. But, I mean, I, I really do see the similarities. And I wonder if, I mean, Pass has said, right, I've watched YouTube videos. I have purposely kind of patterned my game after Roger. But, again, like you're saying, from a number standpoint, maybe they don't, but maybe that will translate as he becomes more aggressive uh, coming sure. to net, getting a better second serve, right? That was really the only difference between him and Roger. Roger wins a few more percent on second serves. So maybe he gets a better second serve. But yeah, it is, it is, that's a fascinating thing you bring up, especially the matchups, right? Because as we showed, right, Djokovic at his best with pretty much Nadal at his best, Djokovic kind of crushed him. Djokovic right. did, was, was redlining. He was playing much better than his normal winning formula. But, you know, was Nadal maybe trying to uh, force it too much or was he trying to change his game style because he's like, ah, normally uh, I'm, yeah, I lost the first set. I'm not going to be able to beat, beat Djokovic playing my normal uh, playing style. And I've seen that with Federer right. against Djokovic, maybe trying to press the net too much. Uh, maybe he wins him a set, but he's not able to to really win the match. He's just not able to play on his terms. So, yeah, adapting your play style, that's, an, that's a fascinating thought. Yeah, that's something to think about. I don't, don't know how much they do that, but... Yeah. And, and I think overall, I mean, I think this is a good exercise at least to go through to look at the, the players, because again, I feel like too much... Before, Previously, I would just look at the numbers kind of singly and not as a whole with, with the player and where they should be at. But like Shane, it would be really interesting to actually chart out the numbers. And I was trying to think about a good way to do, do the graph 
to show. I think maybe just different colors based on which stat you're looking at and then have it on a percent versus uh, on a percent graph there and, and charting it out. Okay, if this is his characteristic curve, this is how he's doing this season. Ooh, he's doing better. Or he's doing way worse at actually charting it out graphically, I think would be interesting. But really, this is like just a step further from the IBM keys to the match, right? They say, oh, they need to win. But they but sometimes they go more in depth. Like they need to win 46% of rallies between one and three shots, right? And they kind right. of go through that. Um, but it is tailor-made to each player, apparently. And so I feel like, again, statistics are only going to be useful when we tailor them to the players. Um, because tennis is such an individual game. It's not like baseball, right? Where sabermetrics, I think, can rule a little bit more supreme. Um, there's styles and there's individuals. There's not a whole team. Um, right. So I, I just think it's different. So I think this is at least a good starting point. It'd be interesting to see if we think about it more and research it more, um, if this will have uh, validity. But yeah, an exciting ATP season 2019. As we saw, the young guns are there, maybe just not quite there. So we'll see if they can make improvements. I'm still waiting for Zverev. CP Poss <laughs> was impressive, but not, I guess he was about where we thought, but uh, not quite ready to make his first final. Yep. Still has some work to do, but yeah. it was good. It was good. A good showing. Still has some work to do. Yeah. So hopefully going to Indy Wells, get some, get some good uh, reports on some matches for you guys. And we can, we can share that in our podcast. But until then, to our next episode, we'll see you on the court.